0: So let's go to Psalms chapter 34 because um, we're going to open up there, go through a few Psalms, and then we're going to end in Revelation. Like, wow, that's quite a jump. We <laughs> start revela- Psalms and then we're going to end in Revelation. That's a power pack punch, right? That's a come, jab jab uppercut combo. So it's gonna it's gonna be good. So let's go to Psalms chapter 34 and beginning in verse seven. It says, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. I love the way that David is writing and speaking this. He's saying, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's saying in a way, uh, I don't want to just tell you about it. I want you to experience it. I've found it. I've tasted of it. And I have a yearning to lead you to a place where you too would taste of this incredible goodness of the God that we serve. When he says taste and see, literally it means to drink deeply from. Think on that for a second. To drink deeply from the goodness of God. And I would ask you to think about that question today as we go through the message. Am I drinking deeply, from the goodness of God. Because I think sometimes we can be aware of things like, say, God is good, but not necessarily be living from a place where his goodness is flowing into our lives in the fullness of what it could be. Let me tell you something. When it is, you know it. (laughs) You say, well, I'm not sure if I'm experiencing the goodness of God. You're probably not, because you would know it if you were living in the goodness of God in your life. It's a game changer. It's undeniable, okay? So we'll go to point number one. You guys have already made my point for me, and that is that he is always good. He's always good. Well, that's kind of an elementary point, Pastor Matt, and I would agree with you. But in some cases, some of these seemingly elementary points, God is good, God is love, you know, there is a whole depth of treasure that we could spend our entire lifetime attempting to mine through and never even really grasp a fraction of what's there. When we look at the fact that God is good, we think about the idea that it's not just what he does, it's who he is. That's kind of a big deal because we don't just like, compare things to God. Well, he, he's kind of like this. He's kind of. No, God is good. God is love. So he defines it. He settles what everything else is by looking at his definition of it within his character. It's not just what he does, it's who he is. Let me say it this way He is inseparable from that. There is nothing ever for eternity in God that's not good. That's a lot to think on, isn't it? God is good all the time and he's never not good. That's helpful for me to hear. I hope that's helpful for you to hear because I don't know if you would admit it. I'll admit it. There's times, I know it's hard for you probably to believe, there are times where I'm not good. Don't comment from the front row here, okay? Would you admit to that? There's times in our lives where we're not good. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not always good. But God is. God is. And that anchors some things for us in our faith, folks, when we come to that understanding. I think many of us would probably be quick to herald God is good when we're on the mountaintop. When the extravagance of blessing that we look for is available and evident in our lives. God is good. But let me tell you something, when God is just, when God is chastising us, He's still good. Does that makes sense? Because He's never not good. So everything He does in our lives is good. So when we're going through seasons of challenge or suffering or grieving, whatever it might be, we may not understand all of those things. There's certainly more answers that I don't have than what I do for many of the questions that come along to us in times of suffering and difficulty. But let me tell you something that I don't think. There's never a point where God's not good. <laughs> and and there's a, there's, I know we're people, and I know we deal with these things when we wrestle and we question sometimes, you know, well, is God good? Well, if bad things happen, is, he, is there really a loving God? And you hear this a lot, but there's something that develops a maturity in our faith where we can look on seasons in our life suffering and difficult and say, I don't really understand that. I don't know everything that's going on. But let me tell you something I do know. God's still good. He's always good. And he has good things planned for me. Amen? So God is always good, which means I can trust him all the time with everything. That's a big deal. No matter what's going on in my life, if he's always good, and when he moves in my life, it's always good, then that means I can trust him all the time with everything. Let me say it like this. You can trust him more than you can trust yourself. And that creates a letting go moment for us when we realize that. That needs to take up residency in our spirit there. Number two, he's good to us. He's good to us. So we establish that God's good. He's good all the time. He's never not good. But there's this sort of second element to it, that his goodness flows into the lives of his children. And really specifically, it said there in Psalms 3410, that, that those who seek God will never lack a good thing. So his goodness flows and is available to those who are going after him. Does that make sense? It says the young lions, they will even lack and suffer hunger which represent lions strong, right? And the younger lions are the, the real strong ones, which means the strongest thing you can imagine in a worldly sense, even they would suffer lack and harm. But anybody going after God would never lack a good thing. So his goodness is always flowing into the lives of his children. You see, you could sort of agree with a concept or a statement. God is good. Yeah, I get that. But not really live in the goodness of God being evident in in its power in your life. Look, the demons, we know the Bible tells us, they know that God is powerful. (laughs) They're not misled on that one, but they can't operate in authority of God's power, right? So we can agree with the concept, God is good, but not really experience his goodness truly in our lives unless we're going after him and we're in a relationship with him. So, like, say my wife, for example, right? I would say that she's sweet. Would y'all agree with that? A couple people, okay. Uh, <laughs> I would say that she's sweet, but I wouldn't really know firsthand if she was sweet unless I was in relationship with her to experience her sweetness. And so, because I do, I can say firsthand, yeah, I know she is. Not just in theory or concept or because everybody else said it, but because I'm experiencing that. That's what David's saying. He's saying, taste and see for yourself. Get a taste of it. Get a dose of it. Let it feed your soul the way it's feeding mine because you need to see how good God is. He's good to us, his children. When we're seeking him, his goodness is surrounding us. Psalms 23. Very popular song. A lot of us know this. You'll hear this at a lot of funerals probably. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That last statement, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You know, that literally means to pursue. Wow. Wow. Think about that for a second. When you're seeking God, his goodness is pursuing you, chasing you, going after you. I wonder, has it apprehended you? Because I feel like the psalmist, quite frankly, I feel like his goodness has apprehended me. He's so good, and I'm so aware of it, that I just want other people to not just hear about it but to experience and know in their own life just how amazing God's goodness is chasing after you wherever you go let me tell you something you going after God you want God with your whole heart guess what his goodness is pursuing you when you go into your home with your family his goodness is pursuing you when you go into your workplace when you go into your neighborhood when you go into your community, when you go on vacation, pick a place. His goodness is pursuing those who are pursuing Him. I love that. The psalmists also tell us in other places that God's goodness is at work for us through our allies and through those who are for us. But listen to this. It, It says that He is also for us against our enemies. Don't you love that? Like, the people who are for you, God's goodness is at work in that, but the people who are against you, God's goodness is at work in that. You see, when my enemies are rising up against me, good news, God's goodness is still going to be surrounding you, still encamping around you, pursuing you, no matter what kind of earthly relationship or situation that you might be going through. It's of no consequence. Yeah, relationships are important in our lives. Absolutely. We know that. But his goodness in your life is of no consequence to which relationships we're talking about. If you're seeking him, his goodness is pursuing you. It reminds me of a funny story. Recently, uh, my oldest daughter, Bella, and I, and then my son, Dax, um, he's five. We're walking along, and Dax lets out a really loud sneeze. And he kind of looks up at me. I guess we were, Bella and I must have been in our own world or something. He kind of looks up at me. I don't say anything. He looks over at Bella. He doesn't say anything. He goes, Well, I guess I'll bless myself. <laughs> hey, you don't want to bless me? You don't want to, doesn't matter. I'm still blessed. <laughs> Kids. And so what I'm saying is, is that God's good to us. And his goodness flows into our lives. We can trust that and know that when we're pursuing him and going after him. Amen? Let's look at Psalm 67. You say, well, this goodness, obviously, that God is is releasing into our lives is because he's good and because he loves us. But listen, there's even more to it than that. God is releasing his goodness to us when we're pursuing him so that others can see his goodness. This is a really powerful truth in Scripture is that the way God's goodness actually manifests itself to other people in the world by the way He treats us, His children. It's a witness. So in Psalm 67, let's read verse 1. God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause your face to shine upon us, Selah. Meaning pause and take that in. So he's, this is similar to the words in number six, the priestly blessing. God bless us, cause your face to shine upon us. God's face looking upon us represents the favor and goodness of God, the approval of the Father, the blessing of God over our lives. We want the face of God looking upon us. And so I, I'm completely in line with the psalmist here when we, we're praying that prayer, right? It's a great prayer. God bless us. Your goodness be upon us. But listen to this, the next verse. That your way may be made known in all the earth, your salvation among all nations. Wow. God, let your goodness be so strong in the lives of your people that it literally leads nations to salvation. That's incredible. You see, the goodness of God. How, let me ask you this way. How good does the goodness of God have to be to literally lead nations to salvation? Yeah. I mean, people can look at somebody that's, you know, maybe wealthy by the world standards, they're a millionaire. They'd say, well, they've worked really hard, or they might have inherited some money. Maybe their ancestor worked really hard. You look at somebody that's older, that's in great shape, and say, while well, they're aging really well, and think, well, they've got good genes. You understand what I'm saying? Like, how good does the goodness of God have to be in our lives to literally lead nations, other people who are lost and away from God, to see His goodness so strong in our life that there's no mistaking it. It's undeniable. There'd be no confusion around, well, was this just a stroke of luck? Was this just a coincidence? No, this is so big, so strong, so powerful that it literally removes any question. There's something going on with that person right there. That is different than what I'm used to seeing. The goodness of God, the favor of God at work like that in our lives. You see, when we think about what is the goodness of God, in fact, that's the last point, number three, what is His goodness? There's a lot of ways that you could maybe describe that. In a way, it's indescribable, because it's just so multifaceted. But let me unpack a dimension of it for us today, okay? We know in Jeremiah 29, 11, this is a, a verse we hear a lot. God says, for I know the thoughts I have towards you, thoughts of good and not evil, bringing a future and a hope. Because I've I have good thoughts towards you, my children. Other translations you would read would say, I know the thoughts I have towards you, thoughts of peace. Other translations would say prosperity, wealth. That's interesting. So what is wealth? I think in many cases, we miscalculate what wealth is because we sort of embrace or adopt more of a worldly definition. Right? We often gravitate towards money or material things, let's say. But here's the reality of it. Does God's wealth, prosperity, His goodness include the availability of material resources? Yes, absolutely. But frankly, it's just a speck or a fraction of what heavenly riches have to offer to God's people. And God is making the full wealth, and riches of the heavenly realm available in the lives of his children to do every great work that we're called to do. But I think in many cases, we adopt a definition of God's wealth or goodness or prosperity, and then we fall disappointingly short, actually, of what God really has in mind. That's why he says, don't, don't focus on heaping up earthly treasure material things, that stuff, moth and rust will come in and destroy that. It doesn't pass through with you to the other side. Focus on the eternal things, heavenly treasure that are of greater value. And everything else underneath, guess what? That'll be available as well. So if you need a million dollars, guess what? God's got that. But the greater things of God's wealth have to do with far more abundance and extravagance than just what we would normally view is through material resources. Am I making sense? And so I'm going to show you, I told you we would end up in Revelation. So let's go there in, uh, in chapter 3. Because listen to this God's wealth or his goodness, prosperity, literally means to have your house filled with all God's good things welfare, happiness, prosperity, the best and most precious things that God has to offer. I want my house filled. Don't you? with every good thing that God wants to give me. And that's a whole lot more than my bank account. It has a lot to do with our relationships. You want to have your house filled with peace, joy, happiness, kindness, and goodness. To have your relationships rich in your life, you wouldn't trade for any amount of money. This is the kind of wealth that God wants to bestow upon his people. But we see in Revelation chapter 3, God's asking John to write letters to seven different churches. And each of these churches... God has something to say about the condition that they're in. This represents the state that the church could be in in any particular era of time. In seven letters, there are five that are essentially being rebuked or corrected, and two that are being commended uh, for, for their ways. Okay? In Revelation 3, we're going to read, this particular church is being rebuked, and I want to show you how it has to do with a misunderstanding of what God's wealth and riches really are. Because we don't want to be a lukewarm church, right? We don't want to be rendered impotent or ineffective. God's church is meant to be increasing and advancing to accomplish His will and His purpose of spreading salvation to the nations. But the church can become ineffective in that mission if things happen. That's a lot of what those letters are about. Well, this particular one deals with the misunderstanding of well. So In Revelation 3, verse 14, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, Laodiceans write this, These things, says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And yet you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, and the shame of your nakedness not revealed, and to anoint your eyes with salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten Therefore, be zealous and repent. So you see that this church is being rebuked, corrected, because they've slipped into a lukewarm state. They're neither hot or cold. They're they're ineffective. They're idle. They're on the fence. They're not making a difference in the world. They're not salt. They're salt that's lost its flavor. Lukewarm. And a huge reason for that is that they've misunderstood what wealth really is. He says, you think you're wealthy. I have everything they need. I have all these, let me say it, these material possessions. I got the big house. I got the big car. I got the big bank account. I got everything. You know, I got a million friends on Facebook. I got it all. He says, you think you're wealthy, yet you esteem the wrong things. He says, actually, you're poor, miserable, wretched. You're blind. You have no idea what wealth really is. He says, I would counsel you, hear me in what I'm saying, and allow me to give you gold refined in fire, heavenly treasure that passes the test of fire, that heaps up in our account in eternity, heavenly treasure, heavenly resources that supersede or way beyond the material things that you're valuing. He says, let me give you the, the clothing, garments to cover your nakedness, which speaks to our identity, our security. People find security in material things all over the place nowadays, but it slips through their fingers as quickly as they get it because it doesn't last. He says, I have a lasting identity and security for you as my child. Let me clothe you with that garment. He says, let me give you the salve to anoint your eyes that you can see, not look through just a natural environment, but see through a spiritual environment and see with discerning eyes as I would see and would have you to see. These are the greater things of the wealth that God has to offer. You see, when we, when we misplace the value of what wealth and riches truly are, it, it can cause us to lead with a very live our lives with a very diminished sense of what God's goodness really is. And God's goodness and resources, they empower us to be able to accomplish all the good things that he wants to accomplish through us. So very simply put, what God has planned for you, for I, at any point in our lives is always going to be far more extravagant than anything we can possibly comprehend. <laughs> He, he, he exists in a realm outside of our prayer life, our thought life, and anything that we think is possible. And he invites us into that place, which is incredible. So we look at this, this rebuke to this church in Laodicea, which I think speaks today, right? If the church slips into this place, like, you're not accomplishing the mission that I put you on earth to accomplish. Don't get lukewarm. Don't mistake wealth. Understand what my goodness is really all about, the fullness that I have to release and want to release into your life. But then we look at another church in chapter 2. This church actually gets commended. I'm showing you both of these because there's a powerful contrast between them. You'll see it when I read this verse for you, uh, verse 9 in Revelation chapter 2. I'm not going to read through the whole thing on the letter to the persecuted church, but this church is experiencing suffering, severe persecution. He says, I know your works, the tribulation and your poverty. Meaning you, everything's been taken from you, you're suffering, you're experiencing persecution, right? But listen to this next statement. But you are rich. Isn't that incredible? You, you, you have lost all these things in the earthly sense, the worldly materialistic sense. You're suffering, experiencing persecution, yet you're rich. You're wealthy because you've tapped into the greater resources of the wealth of heaven, of God's goodness, and you found things that no material substance of this world could ever afford you. You're wealthy in your spirit, and you're wealthy everywhere around you. Wow. This is powerful to think about. You see, God wants, he's so good that he wants to release his goodness into the lives of his children that we would be blessed because he loves us but back to this, the promise to Abraham that we would be blessed to be a blessing, which implies extravagance. you understand that? It implies overflow. It implies abundance. Not just for selfish reasons, but to help nations be led to salvation. To help many who are far from God, who do not know the invitation of his love and of his grace and of the promise of eternal life that his goodness would literally be so evident and so strong at work in our lives that people would take note and they would see that I want to know who's responsible for that. I I want to know the God that's behind that good work that's happening in that person's life. This is really evident to me just recently uh, when Katie and I were with our kids. We were on family vacation And frankly, this has happened on a number of occasions now. And so you see these things again and again. You're like, wow, I'm I'm kind of becoming observant to this, right? And we're on vacation and meeting people where we're at. I don't know, people from all over the country, right? And um, we get to know this family. And as the course of a couple days goes on and we talk and just kind of get to know each other, hang out, relax, one of the gentlemen comes over to me and he says, and actually him and his son both did, he came over and he said, man, Matt, um, I just want to say, you're, you are a blessed man. And God, you could just see how blessed you are in your children, your family, like you, you're, you guys are, you're just really, really blessed. And that struck me a lot. And I've heard that before. And I don't boast in myself, but I'll boast in any good thing God does in my life at any time. Paul says that, right? I don't boast in me, but I'll boast in Christ. And so he says, you're blessed. And I think to myself, well, he has no idea what's in my bank account. He has no idea what kind of car I drive. He has no idea what kind of house I live in. Yet this guy is looking at me after just a couple of days, doesn't really know that much about me, and he's making a profound and incredibly large statement from my perspective to say, you are blessed. And I have the opportunity to say, it's only by the grace of God. See, what I'm trying to say is that God's goodness in your life is meant to pave the way for your testimony. God wants to display His goodness. Yes, because He's good to to us. But furthermore, because He wants to display how good He is to the rest of the world who don't know him yet. And that's when his goodness begins to lead nations to salvation. So I ask you in the beginning, are you drinking deeply? <laughs> right, it's that. Are you drinking deeply from the goodness of God? And as we close this out today, my prayer is that that would be a desire of your heart. See, I want that. What do you do I do? I think the psalmist tells us. Those who seek God, who pursue Him, who are in relationship with Him, guess what? His goodness is chasing after you. His goodness is surrounding you. You ought to be hearing things from people that you come into contact with, people you know, wherever you go. Like, man, what's behind all? Like, What's going on? something different, something really special about what's happening in your life. And in those moments, you could say, it's by the grace of God that I am who I am, do what I do. Everything you see that you call blessed in my life, yeah, I am blessed. And there's one whom I serve who's responsible for that. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me as we close today? And I just want to invite you, if you're here this morning, you know, you hear a message like this, and you think, wow, this, you know, that sounds great and everything, but maybe you have not given your heart to Christ. Maybe you've never actually entered into a relationship with Him watching online, you're here today, wherever you're at, you say, man, I, I've heard stories uh, over the years or whatever, I've been in church before, but I've never really come to this moment. I've never really reached this place, whereas the Bible says is that we would lose our lives that we would gain it. I, I've never really surrendered and laid my life down and turned from the things of this world, temporal that I may lay hold of those things which are eternal and put my faith entirely in Jesus Christ, that he is my Lord, that He's my salvation, my Savior, and the only way to heaven. If you've never made a decision, like you've never confessed that in your heart, then I would appeal to you, today's your day. It's the most important question that you'll ever be faced with this side of eternity. What will you do with Jesus? There's no more important question than that. Eternally speaking. Say, hey, Pastor, I, I want to I make that decision. I want to give my life to Christ. Or maybe you've walked with God in the past, but for whatever reason, you've drifted away, you've walked on a broken road, there's a lot of collateral damage, a lot of wreckage, and you're like, I don't even know how to get back, but I want to get back to walking with Jesus again, where his goodness is flowing into my life. Either of those situations, you, I just want to lead you in prayer. This is about your heart, which only God can see, and your intention. You mean business with God? He means business with you. He's always drawing us to himself. If you feel that prompting, that draw, that's the Holy Spirit of God drawing you to him. I can't encourage you enough to respond to that. Don't resist that. Don't walk away from that. We are not promised tomorrow. You're not promised an hour from now. This is eternity that we're talking about. And your soul. You say, I, I need that. If everybody could just bow their head, and close their eyes. And again, if you're online, this is for you as well. You say, I, I want that prayer. Just say these words. You say, Dear Father God. And everybody just, just join with me. But those of you, this is your prayer. This is yours, personalized. Dear Father God, I give my life to you today. I turn from the world. I confess my sin. I turn entirely to You. Forgive me, Jesus. Make me new. Fill me with Your Holy Spirit. And help me to walk with You all the days of my life. I confess that You are my Lord and Savior. And I give my life to You today. Help me to become the person that You've created me to be. It's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. Amen. And look, if you prayed that prayer online in this place today, we want to connect with you and help you in this journey that you're on, this walk of faith. That's what we're here for. That's what a good church family is for. Help you grow in your faith, move forward in your purpose and what God's destiny for your life is. So please connect with us. Obviously, you can do that very easily online. You can talk to us here in service before you leave. But I think before we go, I'd just like to, uh, could, Pastor Guy, could you just lead us maybe in a chorus or something where we just praise God, declare the goodness of God before we head out of here this morning? Right.
1: God, you're so good. God, you're so You're so good, God. You're so good. You're so good to me. Oh, we just tell him we love him. So good, isn't he? You know, as you leave today, you just got to understand that part where Pastor Matt said he's chasing after you. As much as you want everything he has for you, he's chasing after you and wanting to dump so much more on you. So, as you leave today, as you're dismissed, take that joy of God with you. Just let it spill out on all those around you, family, friends, loved ones, your jobs tomorrow, because that's what he wants to do. So be dismissed. You are blessed. And have a wonderful day.